Another great episode of Mystery of Parenthood coming up. If you like what you hear, go to redsearadio.org, click on the donate button, and become a monthly sustaining member. Please support us. Thank you, and God bless. All right, you know what that music means. You are listening to The Mystery of Parenthood. And um, as always, we'll begin. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord God, from you, every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, and through the Holy Spirit, the fountain of divine charity, grant that every family on earth may become for each successive generation a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for their human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. Grant that love, strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our families sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family of Nazareth, grant that the church may fruitfully carry out our worldwide mission in the family and through the family. We ask this of you who is life, truth, and love with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Family of Nazareth, pray for us. St. John Paul II, pray for us. And Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. So, as we often have done, um, in the past, I think sometimes we, we, we need to make that connection between uh, good theology and practical um, application of that, uh, particularly since, as the prayer we just said, talks about that, uh, Father, you are love and life. We're going to talk about God is love today, and then um, then grant that love, which is part of that prayer, grant that love strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our families sometimes pass. And I think for our families, a proper understanding of what love is and to then to help our children understand it, particularly since um, it's an overused term. Um, and as a result, I think it's often misunderstood what, what love is. And given the fact that that's what uh, holds our families together and, um, Helps us to. Uh, I'm sorry, I turn my my deal off. But um, hold, holds our holds our families together is is love and understanding that God is love. Um, we need to teach our children that, and then we need to be challenged to do better as parents and trying to accurately reflect it. Now we're fallen, but I think knowing it at least helps us to. Um, gauge how we stand on it. I mean, we can, we can measure ourselves and we're going to fail. So it's not, it's not a matter of, um, if we, if we know it, then we're just naturally going to do it because we, uh, are fallen individuals. However, as with all good, with the grace of the sacrament of marriage and with the graces that we receive through the sacraments, we are capable of becoming better and better at, at, revealing love by manifesting it in the way we treat our spouses, by the way we treat our children. So in order to do this, and so you don't have to listen to me the whole time, I fortunately have Thaddeus here with you, with us. And um, Hey, good afternoon, Trey. And I got to say that the prayer of St. John the Paul II, just on a lighter note, um, every time it gets that point of is mightier than Right. In my head, I always want to say is mightier than the sword. That, that, that <laughs> phrase of the pen is mightier than the sword. I don't, I mean, I've heard that. I've prayed that with you thousands of times. Wow. Well, every time I, I do that. Well, um, comes across it is brain. mightier than the sword, I well, guess. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because that's right. That's what overcame. If you, if you take the cross and you realize it right. is. Well, my kids would start saying, come on, Dad. I mean, it doesn't have to all be I mean, theology. Peter sliced off so, the servant's ear and, right. and love. Jesus did. Healed it, right? Healed it, exactly. Yeah. So, Talking about uh, love and, and manifesting the love to our children um, and us being fallen creatures. Boy, I had a bad, 
bad example of that today oh, at, at home with the with the kids. Welcome Jesus. to my world. Trying to, to explain world. something to the fourth one and number three wanted to get in and answer the question and he, you know, interrupted like three times and finally I just about interrupting and well, I've done, I mean, you know, I've done that, and and the principle was correct. The, way, the execution could have been a lot could better. Have been better, yeah. And so, I mean, that's that's it. Because justice again says, you've, if you're interrupting somebody, then you're stepping on on their dignity and not. Yep. But at the same time, you know, we always can do better. I, I that's a pretty much daily occurrence. So I'm 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 hoping you'll do better than me. Twenty years down the road, how old are you now? <sighs> About to be forty-seven. Oh, okay. So ten years down the road, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're ahead of me. But uh, but anyway, um, or behind me. But um, depends on how you look at yeah, our perspective. Yeah. But anyway, so I thought today we would we would talk about God's love. I think it is love in general is overused. Um, I mean, we use it for every, you know all types of things. Um, I love chocolate. I love the Aggies. I love. Uh, you love the Aggies now? I'm, I'm using as an example. Oh, oh okay, okay. okay. Don't want, I mean, I want, that's big news to shout from the rooftops. No. Um, I do love our Aggies, yes. Um, particularly the Aggies that I that I know. But I, I, right, I we don't them, need so. to say any more. All right, thank you. I already was, I already was making <laughs> so life difficult We'd like for to you. keep people listening to the show. Right, right, right. At least here locally. Exactly. Uh, so... Anyway, I I think that one way one place to start, and I think this is something that we need to remind ourselves over and over about, and then additionally, I think that we need to remind our children over and over about this. And this is from the Catechism, um, four seventy eight, and and it's headed called the Heart of the Incarnate Word. And of course, the Incarnate Word is Jesus, the Word of God. Um, who's been with God for all eternity, the second person, the Holy Trinity. And um, and he was made flesh. And so, and his name was Jesus. So Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. And so when we say Jesus, which is what this starts out with, we need to remember this is God. So Jesus knew and loved us each and all during his life, his agony and his passion. And he gave himself up for each one of us. And then quoting from uh, Galatians 2.20, kind of paraphrase, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. He has loved us with a human heart, and for this reason, the sacred heart of Jesus, pierced by our sin, the sacred heart of Jesus, pierced by our sins and for our salvation, is quite rightly considered the chief sign and symbol of that love with which the divine Redeemer continually loves the Eternal Father and all human beings without exception. That's important to remember. I mean, um, I, unfortunately, I saw the other day, and I have no idea, and this person may be a rotten person, but I saw a judge that had sentenced some lady to, to life called her a pseudo-human um, from the, from the what? stand. What? Yeah, a pseudo-human. Um, and so... That's like Nazi language. Exactly. I mean, and and... And so we've got to remember that God loves all humans without exception, without exception. There's no nothing that you or I can do um, that would ever have him stop loving us. But um, and so that way of thinking, even if that person has done horrible things, is a horrible person in terms of their actions, um, we would never call any human a pseudo-human. They are human, loved by God, by name, while Jesus lived his life, while he was on the cross, through his passion, through his resurrection, and from and to this day and for eternity, will always be loved by that person. I mean, by, by God and Jesus himself, the second person of the Holy Trinity. So anyway, I think what happens is because the, because the word love is so frequently overused, it kind of waters down what this is saying. Um, it, it waters it down because we throw it around in so many different ways um, that kind of undermine, undermine the depth that, that God's trying to get at. And the challenge to us, 
of what we, by staying in a state of grace, by going to confession, by receiving Holy Communion, by trying to work on our on ourselves, calling a spade a spade when we sin, um, confessing that sin, trying to empty us ourselves, us decrease, Jesus increase, as John the Baptist would say, um, that 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 is uh, our challenge. That's our goal. We we you know we're always going to fall short, but we're just because we know we're going to fall short. Does that mean that we don't attempt with the help of God's grace to allow His love to abide in us and then to be transmitted through our words and actions um, to the people we come in contact with. So oftentimes there's incorrect views as a result of that. By the way we pray, by the way we even talk about him, you know, one one of the things that, that sometimes people think that he's like this policeman or this judge that's sitting up there saying, ah, I got you, you know, he's always watching. And when you mess up, he's saying, yeah, now you're going to get punished. That's the way that's, not God's love. Another one is like a fire extinguisher. You got a problem, and you <laughs> you pray for it to the for it to be put out. Like I, I and I need you now. That that's not that's not God's love. Even if He does put it out, that's not His. That's not His love. His love's not distant either. He's not this God as I think some of the. And you probably know better than me. Some of the early founders of our country believed in kind of a DS, there's this the the eternal clockmaker who kind of just set the world in motion and right. really doesn't care. He's off in a distance just kind of watching this this game play out and not involved. That none of that, none of those are proper understandings of God's love. The correct view is what Jesus came to reveal, which we didn't know, is that God is a communion of persons, that God is meant to be seen as a father and that he has, and this is something we've talked about before. We need to tell our children all the time, God loves you. We need to make sure that they understand what love means and that he has a plan for their life. He has a plan for my life. He has a plan for your life. There's not a person out there that he didn't, it's on this planet that's ever been created, but on this planet right now, there's not a person who he doesn't have a plan for their life. Our plan um, is often contrary to his plan, and sometimes that causes us great grief. Um, but to the extent that we can do what Jesus did, he revealed that is, you know, not my will, but your will be done. If we can surrender that to God, then I think that that's um, the beginning of allowing um, his love to impact our lives. So, um he wants a relationship with us. I think that's critical to understand. He desires to be in an intimate relationship, like closer to us than even the people that are closest to us in this world. He wants that. And, and, and that is that he, his Holy Spirit dwells, the third person of the Holy Trinity dwells within us, not, not somebody external, but somebody who is that intimate with us, wants to speak to us, wants to be with us, wants to share in our joys, share in our sufferings, um, be a part of our lives. Not not just a part, but but the central part, the core of our lives. And that's the way he intends it. So again, what this self-giving love, so as I mentioned in that in that quote, he and this, I love the fact, and this is what St. Paul says that he loved me and he gave himself for me. That's the way we have to have it, not just for mankind, which is certainly the case, but but it, we understand he did it for me my, by name. He knows my name. He knew me when I was being knit together in my mother's womb. He knows me today and he's known everything I've gone through and probably knows me better than myself. But that's for everybody. That's not just for Trey Cash and or Thaddeus, it, it's, it's for everybody. And we need to communicate to them, to our children, that that's the case. Yeah, that's so, what I wanted to ask. Um, just a couple of um, tips on how to help children of different ages 
understand or grasp or know that relation that they have a that God wants a relationship with them. Well, part so part of it, and this is the hard part. You know, John Paul II, when he talks to families, talks about the fact that that unless somebody experiences love, it's very difficult for them to understand love if they if they experience. And where is the first place that they experience it or meant to experience it in and through the family? Correct. Correct. And so, so how, how we take this and try to apply it to our lives, right? To try to um, put it, remember, we're stewards of these children. They're, they're not, the, my six, our six children are really not mine. They are his that he's entrusted to me. And so, what he's entrusted is that I'm meant to be, I'm meant to be as close a reflection in human terms of who God is. And as John, as John says in his first letter, <laughs> God is love. And interestingly enough, if you go further down in that, he says, you know, he who does not love his brother, you know, the person that he's with, who's visible and says that he loves God is lying. I mean, he, he didn't pull any punches. <laughs> Go ahead. You. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God should love his brother also. That's John 1, uh, chapter 4 verses 20 through 21. Right. So, and that's, again, we've talked about this before. The reason we're, Jesus has, has given us the sacraments to kind of show us that he desires to kind of show himself or make himself present in and through um, what we experience as humans, another person, <laughs> And, and that that's the way that we show it. And so, you know, Jesus says it himself. That's, that's John in, in his first letter. But Jesus says, you know, the first commandment is love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second one is like the first, love your neighbor as yourself. And so there's this great incarnational thing that, that, that Catholics, you know, like, like I've said before, a professor of mine said, well, to be Catholic is to be punchable. I mean, what he means is we're meant to experience life and that that happens through other people. And, and if you go to Matthew 25, we've talked about before, again, he doesn't say, did you believe me? Did you trust me? Did you do whatever? He says when he's making his last judgment, he says, when, you, when, when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. And I think that's going to be the surprising thing, I think, <laughs> at our judgment, is the times that we missed him. Or even the times that maybe we didn't miss him, we took care of that person, but we didn't realize he was who he was. The great saints, Mother Teresa, you know, was always, that's the face of Jesus. There's Jesus there in front of me in that person. And so if we love God, then we must love others. I love that they use brother in that because you could use that with a relatively small child, to be honest, and use that. If you, if you don't love your brother, you, you can't love God. If you don't, with all of their shortcomings, all the things that are aggravating to them, that, that's, I think that is something that should be central to a family's life. Can I be happy when he's had something good happen to him? Can I be sad with him when he has something sad? And to kind of build that into the culture. Isn't that great that your brother made the A-team? Or isn't that great that he got accepted to the school? And and build that up in sharing that, you know, like I said, we're Cassians, you know, you're Romanskis, that sense of we're Christians first, but we're who God put us in, so we're Cassians second. And so when something happens good to a cash-in, we should all rejoice. Everybody should be happy. I've seen, unfortunately, in families where that's not the case, where there's, a, there's jealousy. And that, again, we have to be intentional about how that, how that looks. Intentional in teaching, 
you got to love your brother. You got to love your sister, but also intentional in, in, in our, the way we deal with someone's success and to make sure that we're finding positive successes across and, and building that culture of, you know, wow, isn't that great how that, you know, he picked up after mom. So mom didn't have to deal with that or, or whatever, but that we're constantly pointing out things to be excited for. And that, wow, that was really Christian. It was really cash in like to do that. And the flip side is to, to coach it the other direction too. That's not, that's not, that's not the way cashins handle it um but so we have to we have to look at what god who god is and how does he love and again we built our whole parenting thing after what is the truth about this the goal i mean the ultimate goal is to get our child to heaven but god wants our heart so we as a parent need to want we need to desire our child's heart more than we desire obedience for outward obedience sake Obedience should flow from love, and that should be the way we talk with our children. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, right? I mean, somebody, <laughs> right, exactly. somebody, somebody said that. Right. <laughs> but, but the bottom line is, is that that, that this call can build kind of that that at the center. The other thing is, we have to do which. Uh, I think it was Jim Beckman, Beckman was on here before and, and calling, which is also what the prayer of St. John Paul II, it says that the sacrament of marriage, there's grace from the sacrament of marriage. We need to call on that. That's God's presence, God's power to overcome those shortcomings that we have, the short temper, which I'm the, the, the worst at. So when that happens, what do you do as a parent? When I, when I know, okay, I was right in terms of, I was being just in how I handled this, but I needed to be able to go back and say, well, I didn't, didn't handle that the way I should have. I, I was correct in handling it to not have handled it would have not been loving, but on the flip side, so you saw me, <laughs> not God's love in that me, not God's justice in that. But at the same time, you know, so it's, it, it's always that balance. I think of being Catholic, that there's always this tension between um, even in us that we have to help, we have to understand who what God's love is like so that we can clarify for our children when we make a mistake. <laughs> you know, when we, when we out of an emotion, um, something bubbles up and you say something, either say something you didn't or say it in a way that you didn't, that didn't convey I'm correct in correcting you, but, but the way I corrected you was not that. So I, I think the more we can show our children that we're a work in progress, that we are answering to somebody higher, that, that, that I'm not the ultimate, mm. um, mm-hmm. that we can mm-hmm. point to, okay, I'm gonna ha- I, need to, I probably need to go to confession. I certainly need to come to you and say I didn't handle that well. Here's how I should have handled it and explain that to him because what does that do? It models number one, humility, which we should, but it also helps them make it part of who they are, yep. that they can understand the reason why. And I, I just, yep. I think a lot of parents, um, and you, you can get prideful about, you know, well, I'm, uh, I'm, I can't ever reveal that I'm wrong or I didn't handle it correctly. I think the more often we tell them, Look, I've done it as a bunch of times when I've told kids, look, I'm going to tell you, no, you cannot do this. All right. And they're upset. And I can say, you know what? I could be making a mistake. I, I could be wrong. I, I, maybe I should say yes to this. But I have to, where I am today, answer to God with where I am in this. And I feel like the, the answer is no. And this is why. And the more we communicate what's going on <laughs> in our minds and why we're doing it, what should it communicate? It should communicate that I love you. And if I love you, there are things that I say no to because that's my job. And then there are things I challenge you to do because that's my job. Why? For you. So, so that you become a better person because I love you. And, it, and if you can show that in the way you do it, then, then you're revealing that God 
sometimes is going to behave the same way, except he's not going to make a mistake like that. I mean, he's not going to have to come back and apologize for I didn't handle that right because he didn't handle it perfectly. But what it does show is that sometimes when you're when the answer is no, the response needs to be, okay, I understand no, I don't really like it, but I'm going to accept that because I know you know better than I do as to what's going on. One of my favorite movies to show kids, and I think it's out on Netflix, is um, Joseph, King of Dreams. It's a cartoon. Have you ever seen it? Have not. You should watch it. it. You should watch it. You should watch it. I mean, there's some some scary parts in there, obviously, but it's it's a cartoon. Same person that did Prince of Egypt. Mm -hmm. Same type of thing. But there's a there's a scene in there that that I would show to my kids where where he gets where he's in he's been enslaved because his brothers sent him into slavery, and then he and then while he's in there, then then the wife accuses him of doing something and so he gets thrown in jail and he's in a cave by himself and he's like why is this all all this bad stuff happening to me and and then there's this great song it's because you the title of which is you know better than i and it's when he finally comes to grips with i don't understand it i don't like it, it it's awful but you know better than i do what I need to go through, what I need to experience in order to do that. So things like that are important because I don't know about anybody else out there, but there are, th- there are times when things didn't go the way I had planned. They didn't go the way I wanted them to. Even if I had prayed long and hard for that, the answer apparently has been no. For <laughs> or, and this is another thing that you can teach your kids. Like watching a movie or something, like The Passion, you know, some of our kids are too young to do it. So I said, this is important for us to teach our kids about what love is. We have to look at you and say, okay, you're not ready for this. But sometimes no is not no forever. Sometimes no just means no, not now. The, the, the yes is for a later time in your life when you're ready or when somebody else is ready. So, so th- this idea of we're trying to, as parents, and this is why it's so important for you to actually have these conversations with your kids, is they have to understand that everything that I'm doing, and I could be wrong on some of them, but everything I'm trying to do is to make, provide you the environment, the situations, everything, given what I know about your talents, your gifts, your weaknesses, all those type of things, you, I am going to help try to make what I can control be about you, not about what I want. And you have to say that enough times to where they know. So that like we've said before, you can come back at one point and tell them, have I ever, I mean, I may have made a mistake in how I've done that, but have, have you ever known me not to be actually looking out for your best interest? Which is why when something works out or when you hear about something, okay, I told you that, and then something bad happens, you don't have to say, I told you so. You just have to say, see, that's why I said no to that. Or that's why I said you need to do that. I mean, we have to, this is part of being intentional. You're trying to convey to them particularly as they're younger, so that when they're teenagers, I hear people gripe about the teenage years are awful. That's not my experience. That, that hasn't been my experience. But I, th- but I do believe that that's because we laid groundwork way early on that, that has our kids believing that mom and dad do care about what's in my best interest and that that's the primary reason that they guide me even when they're guiding me in a way that I don't particularly agree with. The only way that happens, if if it's never said, if it's never explained, if you don't go through, hey, here's my thinking, this is my process. I've done it before. Just walk through your thought process and this is how I get here. Can you understand it? I'm not saying you have to agree with it, but can you understand that? And when they can say, yes, I don't like it, but I understand your thought process, then you're conveying, you're giving of yourself definition of love. You're sharing your heart, you're sharing your mind, your intellect 
with them so that they begin to say, because what do you want when they walk out? You want them to at least, I mean, ideally you want them to think like you do to the extent that you're thinking like God does. I mean, you don't want them to think like you do when you're thinking like Trey does, but that's the goal. So you have to be intentional. You have to make the effort to explain. Again, like I said, give them the reason why. Why? Not because they deserve it in the sense that like, I have to know why before I say yes to it, (laughs) but in the sense that they've got to know what your thought process, why, so that they can actually understand it. So when they get older, they can say, well, I remember this kind of, this kind of thought process. I need to think about it this way. That's what you're wanting them to go out into the world with. I don't know if that answered the question. It may have gone way beyond. <laughs> no, it did. It, it was a great answer. It did go way beyond my, my original question, but it was still good. The, right at the end there, it made me think about, I guess you're, you're kind of taking them through three stages or they're going through three stages kind of, uh, I mean, I see it in my, I saw my two-year-old this afternoon, just flat out disobedience, you know, just doesn't want to eat her spaghetti and meatballs and just takes the bowl and turns it upside down (laughs) and throws the stuff on the (laughs) ground right in front of my wife. I heard Uh, about it later. I came and cleaned up the aftermath literally of the spaghetti and meatballs on the floor. Now, obviously, with a two-year-old, that it's a little different. Right, process. right. Yeah. So uh, the human will goes through that that stage of just this is not what I want, so I'm not going to go along with it, and I'm just gonna, you know, pitch a fit. Right. And, and the human will does that in pitches a fit in other ways later in life oh. about you know, other things. That's why you do it down their own road. Right. But that's why you deal with those things when they're younger. Right. I mean, I don't know how y'all handle it. My wife would say, sorry, Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess you're not eating tonight. Oh, that was corner time. That was time (laughs) out or whatever. I mean, and, and what, what, but, but whatever it is and everybody can be, everybody can be different, but Mm -hmm. the more you address that with them at two, the Mm -hmm. less you're going to have to address it. Cause I always say, Everybody at some point is going to go through it. If they always get what they want because they pitch a fit, your 15-year-old oh, yeah. is going to be awful. Yeah. Your, your 15-year-old is yeah. going to be yep. not dealable. I mean, it's going to be a bad yep. teenage experience. Yep. So I always look again. It's like the pitch and pennies. You fight those little battles yep. along the way instead of saying, well, that's so small or they're just two. <laughs> you figure out prayerfully and ask for how do I deal with this in a way that gets their attention and and move on. No, I mean, you yeah. absolutely have to address something like that is outright defiance. You right. have to address that and say that does not fly in this house. Yeah, the worst thing you could do is, well, what do you want? And mm-hmm. go get them. Oh, you don't, what, you know, you don't want that? Let's okay, get you something let's else. Say, yeah, and let me clean this up for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, no. <laughs> yeah. So th- those are the things, again, it's a person who's who who is framed by their experience, right? So you have to be able to be wise enough to recognize in that ex, in their experience when they are crossing a line that if you don't deal with it now, it's just going to be when they're four. Exactly. When, and I think the next the next stage that I was thinking about is maybe more interesting and challenging in a, in a sense of I think. You, the human will also goes through a stage of um, obedience where the child is going to obey because like they kind of how you, you don't have their heart necessarily, but they know that that's what they're supposed to do. Right. And I, and and that's, that's again, you've got, you've got to see. Well, part of it is you can read body language lots of times. I mean, sometimes they'll... And then they, let, me, let me do the third right, stage, right, yeah, and then right. I'll let you go. And then I think the third stage, which you were saying was the ultimate stage, is maybe I would say is assent. Which that's different than obedience. That's like that intellectual and that will of saying, even when they don't see that it's good for them right then and there, they're... Like they're willingly engaged in it. They're willingly saying, 
And that's I'm going to get on board for the big win. I know this is for the greater good, either for the greater good of the family or the greater good of the team or the great or my greater good in the future. Like this is or it's for it's for good. It's for right. It's for truth. Like this is what needs to be done. Right. Right. Like that's the. And so that's the classic example of the. The the man going off to defend his his homeland against an invader, knowing that he's going to he might risk his life and he might lose his life. That's that's not good for him personally, but he knows that's what needs to be done. So he's he's willingly doing it. Right. And so, again, we're the domestic church, religious education for the domestic church. When our families can cultivate that. That they that that they begin to understand. Let me say, ultimate example: Christ, perfectly innocent, God on earth, knows it's not good for his human flesh to be crucified. crucified. He knows it's going to be painful, but he willingly goes along with it. He's because not he's not just doing it because he has to, because he's God. Like he wants to. Yeah, he wills sense. it exactly, and so you can will things, and that, that you know. Let me come back to that. Remind sure, sure, me sure. remind me of that because okay. that came up in a question when we did the talk about love in, in this circumstance. I mean, in, last week when I was talking about this uh, it, with RCIA, but, but remember the church is the domestic church because it's meant to be kind of a um, microcosm, microcosm. Of, of what the church is. So what do we want our children to realize about the church? Okay, I don't understand why I can't do this or I shouldn't do this. But I'm going to assent to it. And then the church is going to provide, which they do, the catechism and, and almost everything, where they explain where they explain it, where the reason why is there. Premarital sex, you, you go through the different things that are so common today. How do you get to the heart of a child? Well, this is why... That's beautiful. This is why that's the right thing. This is why it's good for you. This is why it's good for the other person. And there's an explanation for that. So if you build that in in your family, doing the same thing, I'm not afraid for you to ask me why as long as you ask humbly. As long as the, the, the first word out of your mouth is yes, I will do that. But may I ask why? The church will always say yes, you may ask why. I've always said if you can get a child to understand that the church nor I are afraid of questions. We're not afraid of questions because if the truth is who we say it is, Jesus himself and his church has revealed it. And I am in the position that I'm in as a parent in, in authority over the child properly understood authority as being at the service of the child, using my authority to serve the child. Then I know I lost my train of thought. Um, but, but the bottom line is if I can build that culture, then they can walk out and understand the church better because you can say, this is a domestic church. This is the way it's supposed to operate. And when I have failed, guess what? Priests will fail. (laughs) When I have failed, that does not mean that my authority is gone. It doesn't mean that what I teach is not still something that should be followed just because I'm a sinner. And the older I've gotten, the more I've realized that a lot of my kids think that like I'm, and I've, as I've grown older, they're like, well, I didn't think you, I didn't know you. <laughs> and I've said, if I haven't said it, I'm a sinner. I, 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 I am not God. I, I, I make mistakes. Sometimes I will things that I know aren't best because I'm lazy, because I'm afraid, because of what, whatever it is. The more you can communicate to that, then they can walk out into the world and say, well, of course, this priest messed up. That doesn't change the guiding person of the church any more than it changes that me as a parent am judging myself as a parent against the standard who is Christ, just like I'm trying to raise my kid within that standard, knowing that they fail. I mean, and also the only reason we can evaluate that that. You know, the, the priest was wrong or the person exactly. was wrong is because uh, because the teaching is true. That's exactly. Right? And, and but that's why we have to as parents, I think, as we as they grow up is be willing to say, mm-hmm. 
I didn't handle this right. Mm-hmm. This was not the way that God would have handled it. Mm-hmm. This is me mm-hmm. in my weakness, in my sinfulness, so I that told, they can see I it. I told the, the eight-year-old today, I took him aside and had him sit on my lap, and I was talking to him, comforting him, explaining to him why I was talking, you know, why I didn't want him to interrupt, how important that is. And then I was, I asked him, I said, please forgive me for exploding at you because what I said to you was right, but I shouldn't, I could have handled it better. I could have He'll learn help, so help you understand that better. And I said, the most important reason I want you to know that. Oh, I, didn't, I just didn't say most important. I said, because I would hate more than anything for you to have some memory of this when you get older and you want, when we're talking about, our faith and this happened in the, in a conversation about our faith right. that we were having and that that would bring up some kind of painful memory and you would, you would walk away from right. our Lord and our, and our faith. I, that would, that's the last thing that I want. So I want you to know that to please forgive me because I did not uh, speak to you in the best way that I could, even though, why I was speaking to you was in, you know, justice. And, and why I'm to, and why I'm teaching you that is, is when you go out into this world, you do not need to be known as someone who interrupts people in the middle of their thoughts. Right. That's, that means that'll make you more successful at listening, more successful at communicating. So it's for you. So all of that in that, that short conversation out of love and humility, that stuff needs to happen as many times mm-hmm. as it can so that they recognize you, you're another human, you're, you're fallen, you're not perfect. You know, I think a lot of parents want their kids to think they're perfect. That's not what you want them to because you will fall short. Or the other way too common is, well, I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner. So I'm not, I'm not, I can't, I can't hold my kids to any standards. Right. And that's, I mean, we have to hold ourselves to a standard and the way to do it is to recognize we fell short and that when we're calling our kids to a standard, when they fall short, that they recognize it. Well, you're a, you dad or even holding yourself to that same standard. Right. So when you're, when you mishandle something, you're not afraid to say, please forgive me. I, I, I did not handle that well. Right. Because we have to, the key thing is, recognizing and communicating that the standard is outside of myself. It's not, it's not anything to do with my, my peccability. Right. And you, and when you, when you give that example and that explanation and take that time, that will be more benefit down the road than I think anybody could actually, that that's a seed that's planted that will grow. It will. And, that's the way we have to be intentional. You know, I'm meant to mirror God. I'm not God. <laughs> God has entrusted you to me, and therefore I have to do my best to like what's what's in the best interest of him and what's in the best interest of you. And I may do things that you don't like, and I could be wrong. I may do things that you may not like, but you won't understand that I was right till later. Those things need to happen. They need to hear that. It's not, you know, it's like saying, I love you without, <laughs> without showing them what love looks like, because love sometimes hurts. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, that's, that's another thing you, crucifix need to be in your house in terms of trying to convey to your children. He loves you that much. Without him doing that, you couldn't go to heaven. As much as that hurt, as bad as that was in, he wanted you to be in heaven with him more than he was worried about how much that was going to hurt. And so look at that if you ever want to know. And if you ever want to know as a person, what does it look like to love another person? That's what love looks like. Who was he dying for? All mankind. Who was he dying for? The people that were spitting on him. The people that were calling him names. The people who deserted him. The person even who betrayed him. All of those people. He would rather give himself away for that person's good to his own, not just detriment, but to his own torture and death. 
when he didn't deserve it. That's the radical love that we're talking about when we're talking about God's love. It's a love that you and I will fall short of, but that doesn't mean that we don't strive for it, strive to communicate it and point out when that's not him. So I mean, that's me in, in my worst or in my, not my best. So again, I think that's something you can take to take the plan. And then I think that another thing that you can do is, is read these stories from the gospel that Jesus talks about how much he loves. So in, in Luke um, 15, um, you have three parables. You have the, the lost sheep, you have the lost coin, and you have the, the prodigal son. They should know those stories, right? I mean, th- those are stories you could read to a relatively young person. They can understand you lost, you had 10 toys and you lost one. And instead of saying, well, I'm good with these nine, you stop everything and you go looking for the one. I mean, even if you don't read it, you can do it. What, what Veggie Tales is so great about doing is taking a concept, and I don't even know if they have those anymore, but I mean, I always loved them because oh, yeah, you take sure. an idea and put it into kind of a funny cartoon-like, but it was still communicating the gist, the the main point. But the fact that God has 90, has 100 sheep and one wanders off, doesn't follow along, doesn't do what he's supposed to. He doesn't say, well, I'm good with the 99, that idiot sheep can just stay over there. Instead, he goes and finds him and doesn't even just say, well, just come follow me. He picks him up and carries him back to the flock. He's the one, he's the initiator of the effort while you were lost. And the greatest of these, which I just love, is the prodigal son. And I was, it's important. What does prodigal mean? Extravagant. All right. Well, we think of the prodigal son. He lived an extravagant life. He took all that God gave, all that his father gave him. He said, I know you're not dead yet, but I'd like what's coming to me when you die. And, and the father says, here, take it. He takes it all and he goes off and he spends it doing what was pleasurable to him. And there's two things about that that I think are really important and then that'll draw the end. One is he spends it all and then he, there's a great line that basically says he comes to himself. He, he recognizes, he all of a sudden goes, hey, wait a second. I'm sitting here miserable. There are slaves of my father that have good meals every night. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back to him and just offer myself as a slave. I'm, I've sinned before you, God. I've sinned before you, my father. Please accept me back. And that's the way we think. You know why? Because that's the way that a lot of our fathers, myself included, might do. He turns around and comes back. And I always, there's a great song. He ran to me. Was, is a, so if you ever go look up the old, there's multiple of them. But if the words are, he ran to me. And I'm like, that, that's extravagant love of the father who doesn't wait like I think I probably would. I told you, <laughs> just stay here. You come back and can grovel on my front porch in front of me. And then I'll give you everything back. That's not what happens. The father sees him coming back. He's turned around and come back and he runs to him. And before he can get out, I'm sorry. He like starts the pre-rehearsed speech. I'm so sorry. And the father's like, go get it. Get, get, his, get the robe. Give me his ring. Put sandals on his feet. He's my son. Now, if I can stop you just there for a second. I think what's amazing there about that part of the story is so he asked for he asked for his inheritance you know and this isn't quite the same as as his inheritance but he thinks he's gotten all that he's he could get out of the father and then he comes home and There's the more. father's actually got more he's got a ring to put on his finger he's got sandals and to put on his feet cat, fill a the calf, calf. We're a gonna, robe we're gonna we're gonna i mean he's that's why so so a lot of the saints will say it's really more about the extra, about the prodigal father. He's extravagant. He doesn't go, well, you know, at least you came to your senses. Mm-hmm. You know, now go work in the work in the back room until you've paid your dues and then you can work your way back up to being my son. It's immediately when you turn around, that's God's extravagant love. Purgatory is extravagant. It, absolutely. It's not I mean, you, you know, you 
die with some venial sins on your soul. And so, well, you can have, you know, purgatory or not, not even limbo, right. like not just natural happiness. Right. And, and it's that you'll go through this trial, this, this fire of my love and, and then you'll still have heaven. I'll still grant you heaven. And so, and so I think that every once in a while, you know, you have, you have to, you correct your children, but every once in a while that extravagant mercy, not to the extent that you can, the beauty is if you ever have a child, which I've, we've talked about that, that is crying, they, they recognize they did something wrong and they come to you in a perfect contrition because you can tell that they're really saddened by it. They're not just saying the words, which is better than not saying the words, please forgive me, but they're actually hurt because they know. And that's another thing you have to talk about is he wants a relationship just like I want a relationship with you. When you disobey, you hurt my our relationship and that hurts me more than what you did. That bothers me more than what you did. So don't focus on what you did as much as you say you broke you broke my heart. You hurt me personally because I thought we had this relationship of trust. I thought we had this relationship where we looked out for each other. Sometimes in the worst sense, Catholic guilt's not a bad thing. You need to let them <laughs> experience that. So anyway, go back and read those stories and pray over them that God would reveal to you the kind of love that he has for you and how can you manifest that to your children? Because that's the way they begin to understand what God's love is like. That's that's the way we do it. And so um, we're at the end here. Remember uh, always to pray, parent with a purpose, and prepare for God to amaze you, and he will with his great love. And so God bless you guys. Please pray for us. We'll be praying for you. Particularly pray for Steph and her mom. God bless you guys. Bye.